attackers are getting really, really good at emulating legitimate user behavior and legitimate application behavior. So if you're only looking at email, if you're only looking at web security, if you're only looking at EDR on the endpoint, you're missing more than half the picture. So if you can see those patterns together, be like, huh, Tom got an email from his buddy, the, the friendly prince, went to a website we've never seen before, PowerShell ran on his machine, strange new process. Any one of those is not grounds for conviction, but when you lay them together, it's clearly this is a ransomware attack. Everyone, it's David Bumble coming to you from Cisco Live, back with a very special guest, Tom, welcome. Thank you. Tom, you've been in this game for a while. Yes. You've seen a lot of changes. Yes, sir. My thing that I've seen is it looks like the attackers are still winning. Yeah, I think that's very clear, unfortunately. Right? If you look at both the frequency and severity of ransomware attacks, they've increased significantly in the past year. Yes. So, I mean, based on your experience and what, you, what you're seeing, what's the solution to this? Well, so let's, let's take a step back and look at how we get where we are. Yeah. Um, for decades, the way the industry has worked is there's just physics behind the fact that small companies can innovate faster than big companies. Yeah. That's just sort of how it works. And, and so a new security problem would pop up and there'd be a little cluster of companies that would form to solve that problem. I was part of that. I was part of the founding team of a company called Ironport. Yeah. We stopped spam. That's all we did. We're really, really good at stopping spam. And so, so the strength of these focused, let's call them point solutions, yep. allowed you know, sort of rapid adoption from the part of the customer. The problem is after 20 years of this, the customer has built up quite a tool set. Like many big enterprise customers will have 150 different security tools. Wow. And if you talk to security professionals, uh, a, a good buddy of mine is the CEO of a company called Attack IQ. They measure, you're familiar with them, right? They measure the effectiveness and preparedness of a customer along the MITRE attack framework. Yep. And he'll tell you, it's not that people don't have tools deployed, it's that they don't have them deployed correctly. So, so tool sprawl is a big problem. You know? And again, if you use kind of the common sense factor of like, hey, this has been going on for decades, you know, there's ubiquitous deployment of state-of-the-art EDR solutions, state-of-the-art next generation firewall, sort of advanced identity solution, and I bought a you know, cloud CNAP, right? Cloud native application um, platform. Yet, we see the frequency and severity of ransomware increasing. So we've got to think differently. And the alternative approach here is what we call a platform approach. Okay. Now, if you've been in the industry for a while, as I have, you may approach that with a little skepticism. I used to, you know, I'm a security startup person and I would listen to big vendors like Cisco talk about platforms. I'm like, uh-huh, that's code for like, buy all the stuff from me. The reason why I think there's been a significant shift in the industry is that what we're seeing is that the signal to noise ratio in any one domain is so low that it's very, very difficult to say, I caught this stuff. Yeah. Very, very difficult. Right? And the reason for that is that attackers are getting really, really good at emulating legitimate user behavior and legitimate application behavior. So if you're only looking, for example, at email, yeah. if you're only looking at web security, if you're only looking at EDR on the endpoint, or you're only looking at NetFlow, you're missing more than half the picture. And so, you know, there's a fair amount of evidence from customers, from analysts. If you can look broadly across all of these domains and lay these events side by side, that's where the patterns emerge. And, and it's, this is what's driving this movement towards security platforms. At the end of the day, it's efficacy. Which means? Which means we stop ransomware more effectively than you would with the combination of a you know best of breed email filter, a best of breed EDR solution, a best of breed firewall, and a best of breed identity. Right? 
those p the individual pieces are not adding up to best of breed uh, 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 protection. So talk us through that framework because I've heard you mention that before, like Nigerian Prince or someone yeah. these days. You know that like, guy too? Yeah, I've met He's him. He's unbelievably friendly, <laughs> did right? You, did you get the money? He, said, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he wanted to give me money. You know, all I just had to do was give him my bank account, right? Like, yeah, laughable uh, uh, email. And yet still someone out there still, is like, oh, he's a wonderful, oh, yep. he was so helpful. You know, like, wow, they're clicking on it, right? So 80% of the rent, we have an incident response business, yep. a pretty large one. And so 80% of our, Talos, correct. 80% of the ransomware attacks we saw last year started with a phishing email. Yep. And so um, uh, the phishing email takes you to a website and more and more, this website looks like just like a real website, yeah. right? It's indistinguishable from and the, and the domain name is hard to read. And the domain, and exactly like Google domains made yeah. it worse with the zip and all the rest of it. No? You got it right, yeah. but it, but this this domain just appeared twenty four hours ago, yeah. right? So you don't know that it's bad. You don't know that it's good. You just yeah. it's unknown. You click on the link thinking it's a photo share site, and something starts running on your machine. You don't know what it is. All of a sudden, PowerShell is running, right? PowerShell spawns some new process that we've never seen before. You can't just delete a process because it came out of PowerShell. That would be like me telling your audience that PowerShell is the root of all evil. It's not. Well, maybe it is, but like <laughs> a lot of people like PowerShell for yes. that reason. Yeah, exactly, right? Um, uh, no, PowerShell is a legitimate tool yeah. that people use. System administrators use it, but just like with the phishing email, eighty percent of the ransomware attacks we saw last year came from an unknown process meaning not known bad, not known good, just like this new process, which in turn spawned from PowerShell. So if you can see those patterns together, be like, huh, Tom got an email from his buddy, the, the friendly prince, went to a website we've never seen before, PowerShell ran on his machine, strange new process. Any one of those is not grounds for conviction, but when you lay them together, the, it's clearly this is a ransomware attack, right? And then that process is trying to reach the customer database and asking for 500,000 credit card numbers, for sure. example, right? So if you have that end-to-end -end view, you can drive much higher levels of efficacy. And you could say, well, wait a minute. Let's imagine I've got an EDR solution. It, it sees every single process. And I've got an NDR solution. It sees every single network connection. And I'm going to capture all this stuff in logs. So, you know, I would say to you, good luck. Yeah, I mean, it's getting worse because what about like AI? Rather than a Nigerian badly written email, right. users are going to click on AI generated. Uh, this stuff emails. is indistinguishable from yeah. from from yeah. real content. But my, my point about the logs is that that logs have been around forever. Yeah, it's not solving, the, it's not solving. It doesn't the solve the problem because yeah. the, 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 by definition of a log, it's a summary. It's summary data, right? And so when you have these really really sophisticated attacks that look like real stuff, you need to be as close to the data path as you possibly can. So the difference between a traditional sim, which is a log aggregator, and what we're doing, which is XDR, is that a, that a sim thinks in days, weeks, months, even years, you're storing that data. A SIM is looking at summary data, right? An XDR is as close to real time as possible. An XDR is not looking at summary data, it's looking at every, I wanna see every packet, I wanna see every process, I wanna see the, not just the email, but I wanna see the MIME encoding of the email, I wanna know like the, the metadata around the email, right? I wanna see every click on the website. So I wanna see as much resolution as possible and then I wanna throw that data away. I wanna process it, assimilate it, and what comes out of an XDR is a high fidelity alert stream, right? And those are just two fundamentally different philosophies. So I mean, um, the products that were announced today, we can start with something simple like a firewall, but I want to talk about some of the other products. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, to be clear, the XDR is something we announced just a few weeks ago at RSA. Yeah. Right now, the products we announced today are tied in to the XDR, coming back to this security platform or system, right? System of subsystems. So here's what we announced today: we announced two things. They share a common philosophy, which is zero trust. Okay. And so the the first thing we announced is Cisco Secure Access, and it allows a zero trust or least privilege connection 
between a user and corporate applications. The second thing we announced is what we call our multi-cloud defense, and that allows least privileged communication app to app. And so sometimes people forget that servers are people too, meaning that they have identity and they should have privilege. And you can't just allow any, any connectivity in the data center because in a zero trust model, you have to assume the attackers have found a way to get into the data center. So if you allow any, any connectivity, that's giving the attackers permission to roam about the data center until they find the data they're looking for, right? Lateral movement. Yeah. So we're able to implement a least privilege model for both of them. Make sense? Yeah. 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 Okay. So maybe I'll start by talking about what, what we do with Cisco Secure Access. So, so the principle of zero trust network access, ZTNA, has been around for years. It's not a new idea at all. And I had a room full of customers today and I asked them, show of hands, who has a zero trust program underway already? Every single hand went up in the room. And so, you know, there might be a few that haven't started, but, but pretty much everyone has done something. And I said, okay, cool. Um, now another show of hands, who is also running a VPN? and every single hand went up in the room, right? So why, right? Why is that? Well, here's why. Typical enterprise is gonna have a large population of applications and you know, businesses are all driven by, you know, Mark Andreessen famously said, software is eating the world, right? So businesses are driven by these software applications and they're making custom apps. And sometimes it's a little dumb app. It's like, oh, it's the thing that schedules the metal delivery that we need to make the bezels on our watches or whatever. Well, okay. But it's it, without that, you don't schedule the metal delivery and yep, yep. production is impacted, yep, yep. right? So the way those apps were architected, they were built in a world where you had a data center. It was the old trust model, right? So when you're on network, you're trusted and you had full connectivity. And, and if you're off network, you use a VPN to get on the network and you have full connectivity. That model died officially, in my opinion, the day that, that a HVAC vendor at Target, you know what I'm talking about, right? An HVAC vendor had an affected machine and the attackers came through, you know, a heating vendor and they were able to get into the point of sale systems from one of the largest retailers in the world. Not good, no. right? And so then we realized, okay, we've got to put these zero trust frameworks in place where we kind of put like watertight compartments. So we want the IT team to access IT apps. We want the sales teams to be able to access sales apps, but we don't want salespeople getting into those IT apps. Common sense. The problem is, in order to implement that, you need a thing called an app connector. And an app connector is a fancy name for a proxy or a gateway. Proxies these days are all built around HTTP and so web traffic. But many of those applications, like that thing that schedules the metal you know, bezels or what have you, they may be built in a world didn't anticipate proxies and they don't work nicely with a proxy. So uh, apps like SAP that are multi-channel are not gonna work in an app connector. Apps that do server-side initiation, so if they're doing software distribution, not gonna work in an app connector. So you can put some of your apps in the zero trust framework, but you know, virtually every customer I've met still has to have a VPN for like the long tail of apps. And so you're, you're presenting the user with this two-headed dog. Right, one of them is the zero trust model. The other is is you know sort of the traditional model. And the, the analogy I always make is, if you were a user and you went to get a glass of water, could you imagine if someone asked you, would you like that water delivered with an iron pipe or a copper pipe? Or today we have a special, we're delivering it with plastic pipes. Like what? Yeah. Who cares? Yeah, who cares? I turn the tap on, I fill my glass, I turn the tap off, I'm off on the next task. So so we're asking a user to choose what is effectively a tunnel or pipe. And so this is the kind of the, the punchline at Cisco is that the company that brought you the VPN is killing the VPN, right? We're plumbers, whether it's an IPsec connection terminating into a VPN concentrator yep. or an HTTP connection terminating into a zero trust gateway, that's copper pipe versus plastic pipe. User doesn't know, doesn't care, shouldn't be asked to choose 
exactly. the type of plumbing. And they're so, going to make the wrong choice. The, yeah, exactly. Well, uh, I'll tell you, this is a true story. Yeah. We're riffing a little bit here, right? So, no, go so for it. Uh, my past life, I used to work at VMware uh, until very recently. And we had a Zero Trust framework, and I was using it. And it was during the pandemic, so we were all working from home. Campus was closed. And my boss uh, was the CEO. He's like, hey, I need some. I need you to get this piece of information. And it was stored in Jira, which is running on-prem. And I had to launch uh, a VPN. It wasn't a Cisco. It was somebody else's VPN. And I never used this thing. So I couldn't get it to like launch, you know. I'm like, damn it, what's the password? I had to I mean, like. Think you're technical, and if you struggled with that, yeah, exactly. So what about all the other people? Yeah, exactly, exactly, people. exactly. This is this is just, so you know what I had to do. I had to like get in my car. I had to drive to campus. Campus is closed, but I had to like get up right next to the building and get on the Wi-Fi, oh, wow. and then I could access crazy. The, the Jira. And I said to myself, like, I will make it my life's work to never have this happen to anyone ever, ever again. So by unifying traditional VPN and zero trust, we're able to deliver an end user experience that, that uh, I call it the world's most boring demo. Open your laptop, go to work, right? Whether you're going to legacy app, new app, whether you're on-prem or remote, the experience is the same. We're unique in being able to do this. There are other people, like if you listen to Palo Alto, you listen to, to, to Zscaler, they're going, oh no, no, we do the same thing. The devil's in the details. Like you actually are able to run a VPN connection and a zero trust together. No, is the answer. We think this is a unique point of differentiation, evidenced by the fact that so many customers are running VPN and Zero Trust side by side. Uh, did you want to talk about some or more of the products? Yes. I don't want to. I don't want to stop you, Flo. I, yeah, love, yeah. I love you going. Okay, cool. So, so what we talked about is is a way to deliver that Zero Trust user to app at scale, yep. right across every configuration: old apps, new apps, SaaS apps, premise based, etc. Mobile devices. This is another thing we announced: is that we've been working with Apple to build this capability into iOS. So no client necessary, no thing to download. So just automatic. Yeah, just automatic. Yeah, yeah. And so um, uh, it's called iCloud Private Gateway, terminates into the Cisco Security Cloud. Um, and so seamless end user experience, the goal is to frustrate the attackers, not to frustrate the users. I mean, that's the problem. Uh, you just think of like different users. I mean, if you couldn't get a piece of software to work, how can you expect people not to click on some AI-generated email or something? Right, right, right. No, we make the assumption that 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 you know people are going to click and and the users are in. That's why zero trust exists, right? Like, there's no way you can train humans no, no, not to make no. mistakes. I love humans. I'm one of them. Like, <laughs> we constantly click on dumb things. Now let's talk about that app-to-app -app connectivity. So so people have been putting apps on the public cloud for like. A decade more, right? And there are all kinds of ways to build a direct connection from a private cloud to a public cloud. There's a thing called a direct connect, right? So the connectivity is in place, but generally it's 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 a VPN style connectivity where anything running on the public cloud can talk to anything running in the private cloud. And so I had a customer that had hundreds of VPCs that they were running on Amazon. They had another hundreds of them on uh, Azure and then like 50 on Google. And in one of those VPCs, that had internet access, a developer put an instance and left the default password. Password, well, I don't know that specific story, but go on. You but can guess. Like, yeah, you passwords can guess. on GitHub. And yeah, exactly, yeah. right? And so there's bots that are out there that are just looking for this. They found it, landed code on that box, and then from that, you know, oops, I just, it's a development environment, but I had internet access. The attackers were able to get all the way back into their premise and into their source code. Yeah. No bueno, right? And so, so, so we need to put those watertight compartments in place, just like we do user to app, app to app needs a least privilege model. Yeah. You think that's easy? It's not. And here's why, is that everything in the private cloud is built around some form of IP address, yeah. right? A VLAN, a network segment, a VRF, 
you know, however you're describing the application, there's an IP address as the source of identity. When you go to the public cloud, a workload could be made up of Redshift and Lambda and, you know, S3. There's no IP address in that at all. It's identity. It's the identity of these services. And so as you want to make a least privileged connection from one to the other, you need a translation layer that speaks IP address on one side and identity on the other. This is what we've introduced. So it's called Cisco Multi-Cloud Defense and allows you to describe a workload in the language of the workload on Amazon or on Google or on Microsoft Azure. Um, and then conversely, you can describe the target you know, in a private cloud, customer database, in the language of the private cloud. So it's a little drop down. I want this workload here, described here, click, 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 to talk to this customer database here that works in this IP verf you know, API, URL, whatever it is, um, and then brings those two things together. So this is something that I think has universal appeal for anyone that has any sort of hybrid cloud at scale. If you only have one app on Amazon, you don't need this. Yeah. If you have tens or hundreds on Amazon and also stuff on-prem, on this is a problem I think you'll understand. Any more you want to do? Uh, well, let's see. So, th so there's those two. Now, so here's what I think is one of the more interesting capabilities that we have in the current product. And when you start thinking about it, you'll realize that the security impact on this is huge. Um, uh, one of our engineers had the idea that said, you know what, for every network connection, we should look at which process initiated the connection. And in fact, we should capture the hierarchy of that process. So the pattern we're looking for is that when I talked about earlier of like, huh, this process that's making this network connection, we don't know. PowerShell it, thing, yeah. Yeah, and it just spawned out of PowerShell. So we append that information to every flow. And that gives us, we're able to pull that, not from an EDR solution, we pull that information from this next generation, you know, network connectivity thing that we call Cisco Secure Client. It's an it's a evolved version of AnyConnect, our, our yeah. you know, VPN that we killed to make the new yeah. VPN, right? So here's an interesting example where you have a access control decision that's being made, but we're harvesting security telemetry at the process level. And I have just found over and over and over again that that process level telemetry is the most interesting and most important. Because whether it's on a machine or think about an Apache server, yeah. we pretty much know what to expect in Apache. It doesn't have to say there's not going to be a new process, but if there is, we should treat that with some suspicion. So having process level visibility and being able to follow that through the network to correlate it with lateral movement is an extremely rich, interesting area. We're gonna to continue to be investing, continue to be exploring. And I think, imagine a world where we could actually keep track of a weird looking process that did something weird, made a connection on the network, and then moved to another connection, another connection. We could use a blockchain approach to create a hierarchical identity at the process level. So we have capabilities that are shipping today that do this on a, on a, a laptop. But being able to extend that to pretty much any form of compute, I think it's going to create a really, really rich set of signals for security that allow us to identify friend or foe more accurately than you could do without that. And that goes to XDR. It's 100% goes to XDR. And let's call it security analytics in general, because I think in the data center, we can do really, really great things if we understand process level and network level communication and put those two together, like in real time. Yeah. You know, not trying to harvest that out of logs because it's talk about a needle in a haystack, right? There's a lot of processes and there's a lot of connections. And if you're trying to correlate them, that's and tough. the damage is already done. And the damage is exactly to be like, oh, by the way, I want to let you know that last week you got broken into, you know? Oh, thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah, My really. Missing all yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the last thing we haven't talked about is the role of AI. Now, every vendor in the planet is like, oh my God, AI this and AI that. But there's a good reason for that, right? In, in that if you think about what happened in the past, you know, just a few months, computers now have the ability 
to process natural language. Yeah. And just the more you think about it, you realize this is going to be transformative. So what we showed are demos where we can use large language models to allow a firewall administrator to greatly simplify policy management in a firewall. Have you ever been inside a firewall? Yeah, yeah. I, I used to configure it. Pixels and all those. I could tell, I saw the pain on your face. You're like, oh my God, I've actually done this. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I I, I routinely talk to customers. They have hundreds of thousands. It's crazy. I've talked to customers that have over a million firewall rules. Can you imagine editing that rule table? Oh, here it is, rule number 567,000. There it is. And it's, it's like assembly code. You know, it'd be the, like. The problem is, you don't know what half of those are because you, and you don't want to take them out because it might affect some app. You, you yeah. stole my line, yeah. right? Sorry. The, Go no, on. no, 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 it's right on the money. Is, 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 you know, the guy that wrote them He's retired. Long, yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So the rules just build up and build up. Kind of useless. Exactly. Right? And so, so, so now we have the ability, we showed demos of this, where you can actually talk to the firewall. And you do it, you're typing it, but imagine we could put a, we could put a voice translation layer on there and be like, hey, Tom is uh, uh, just joining Cisco. We need to give him access to this, this, and this, but not that. And it'd be like, okay, here are the rules. And conversely, you can read the rules and it can tell you, I can say, does Tom have access to Jira? Because he probably shouldn't these days, right? You know, like you don't want him <laughs> getting in there. Don't want him messing with source code. And so, yeah, having the ability to dramatically simplify firewall rule administration, big deal. Same thing applied in the SOC. So remember in AI, there's kind of two pieces to the puzzle. There's the algorithms themselves, and then there's the data you train them on. And so one unique set of data that we have is we've been in the incident response business for decades, Talos, right? And so imagine if we took all of the write-ups of all of the incidents that we've encountered and fed them through this LLM capability so that we can create a SOC assistant that understands patterns. Oh, you know what? I've seen this before. This looks like a, you know, a lateral movement, and I suggest we turn on packet capture and you know, set up a honey net, right? And so amazing, yeah. a human can go do that, but like the computer can do it 10 days, times faster. Yeah, five days too late. Five days too late, right? Yeah. So, so we think we can create an order of magnitude increase in efficiency for a SOC operator. That's why there's a lot of buzz about AI, because it's not just smoke. Like the, you can see the impact that this stuff is gonna have on those two examples. And those are like obvious. So as we start to really dream about like, man, what could we do where, where computers understand words? It, it, it gets really, really interesting. So can you summarize? I think we've covered all the point products, right? Yes. Okay, so all, the, all the different pieces. So, okay. yes. so let me ask it again. Can, we, can you summarize this idea from what we discussed in the beginning, like all these different vendors selling all of these products? Yeah. What, it, what is Cisco doing? Take, XDR was announced. Yes. So yeah. what's the full picture today? Yeah, so, so uh, our view of Cisco is we want to be great where security meets the network. And you can think of that in three buckets. There's a bucket of functionality that's around users. So that Cisco Secure Access that I talked about is a very integrated solution that has a firewall, a web proxy, browser isolation. You know, it's got digital experience management, right? All of that is integrated into one single solution. So you could have five or six point solutions. Instead, you get one console from us. We're going to continue the integration. We've got email in our user suite. We've got EDR in our, in our user suite. So bringing these things together so they're easier to deploy lower cost, but at the end of the day, how do we start this whole conversation? Efficacy, right? We'll deliver a better outcome, better catch rate, better protection than you would get if you deployed even really, really good point solutions for email, web, you know, EDR and connectivity. So that's the, that's the vision. Yeah, that's brilliant. Okay. Tom, thanks so much for sharing. Yeah. But before we wrap up, anything else you want to say before we, we close? We love security. <laughs> I, I just want to say this. I've seen a lot of your talks yeah. and um, what I really like is You've been in the game a long time. You cut out all the noise and you like just give it straight. And that's what I really, nice. I really appreciate it. So well, you seem, you seem to understand. I no, appreciate the yeah, questions. No, of course, yeah. 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 yeah, good. Brilliant. Okay. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, thanks for having me.